Hi, welcome to everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor at LifePoint in Westerville. So to all of our people from uh, all of our five campuses, just want to say welcome. Uh, thanks for listening in. If you are listening in today for the very first time, if you're a guest uh, to our online service, I'm going to ask you just to kind of go to lifepointohio.com forward slash watch. When you go there, there's going to be a guest information button. Take a second and hit that button. Fill out a little bit of information. There are going to be five different ministries that we support. If you check one of those boxes uh, that we will do a $5 donation on your behalf, just to say thanks for listening in today. But here's what I would like to know. Tell us how you heard about LifePoint. You're going to hear some more uh, announcements at the end of this uh, service, uh, but I just want to say that it's grateful to all who are listening in. If you've been listening in during this series, Labels, then you know we've been going through the book of Luke together. During the month of May, we ask that everyone read through the book of Luke. And during the month of June, we've been praying through the book of Luke. And every day at 10.02, whether it's a.m. or p.m., uh, we've been asking everyone to pray uh, the prayer that Jesus asked us to pray that we would pray for workers to be ready for the harvest, that, that we would raise up new workers to go out and to be ready to reach people with the gospel. So I'm asking that uh, this week, if you haven't done that yet, maybe set your alarm for 10.02 a.m. or p.m. and, uh, and pray along with, with LifePoint Church as a whole uh, for God to raise up workers for the harvest. Well, I was thinking about uh, my childhood and how there's one invention or one change uh, to one invention that's really changed our society completely, and that's the telephone. Uh, when I was a kid, I had the first rotary phone. That's how I grew up. It's, you remember the one you used to dial? Well, then in the 80s, they came out with these uh, phones where it had like the little punch uh, numbers, which was really kind of cool uh, if you remember those phones. But they had like a cord that you had to stick next to the phone. And if you were like me and you had a big family, in order to talk to someone, you had to kind of like take your phone and get behind a door and shut the door and try to talk to someone. But that all changed in the 90s when they developed the new cellular phones that everybody could have. They were uh, affordable enough that people could buy them. And, and do you remember the old flip phones, the old Motorola's? Um, I tell you what made a big change with that. The first one was you could text. So in order to get a hold of somebody, you didn't have to call them and reach them at a certain time. You could just text them a message and they would get back to you. And that changed uh, the way you interacted with people. But then we know as, that, as time went on, the, the invention of the iPhone, you're walking around with a computer in your hand. You're walking around with a TV in your hand. You're walking around with a camera in your hand, a camcorder, like it's all there in your hand. And that changed the way we interact with each other that you now have 24 seven access to one another. And, but I found that it also meant that there's a whole new way that people try to scam you, right? There are people reaching out to you all the time and sending you texts and sending you emails and, and placing calls. And a lot of them are just trying to scam you. I, I get these emails all the time for people who are looking for the place uh, where I live to sell it. Uh, you know, it's, and there are different ways. It's almost like they're form emails or form texts where they're like, hey, we're interested in your location. Would you be interested in selling? So I thought I would respond to one. Uh, this, a couple weeks ago, I responded and said, hey, I'm definitely interested, but I, I don't want money. I'm looking for a trade. Do you have a farm, maybe with a lot of animals that we could trade? Well, they haven't responded to my text yet. So I don't know if that's going to work or not, or maybe get them to stop texting me. But I bring it up. We're in this series called Labels. And during the, you know, this series, we're looking at the book of Luke. And what you find as you read through Luke is that Jesus interacted with a lot of people on the fringes, people who were most likely to be labeled by society. And during the series, what we've been talking about, the big idea is that the gospel calls us to live a life above labels. 
It's labels that sometimes cause limits. Um, and for some people, that means that it causes limits between each other. They become uh, isolated by their labels that they have. I believe when, when we say the gospel calls us to live a life above labels, is that God is calling us to partner with him in the most amazing and beautiful message in the world, that he wants to save people from their sin and draw them into relationship with him through what he did on the cross. And because of that, what he's saying to all of us is that I love you. He loves us deeply, but he also does not, he's not okay with sin. So he sends a son to pay for sin. And therefore, because he's risen from the grave, he's now alive and calls all of us to follow him and be on mission with him. And if we have labels that isolate us or labels that put limits on us, then the gospel calls to live above that, that we would love people in the same way that Jesus does, that we would uh, serve them and care for them in the same way that God would want us to for everybody, because the gospel means everyone's on the same playing field. This is the problem with that though. The way that culture has changed means there's a lot of people reaching out to you and you know that are trying to scam you. And it makes people very skeptical of others. That when people are, you know, sending you emails and phone calls and trying to get your personal information, your bank card and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, like we know, wow, these people are scamming us. And it makes us very skeptical of anyone who's reaching out to us. And that hinders in some ways the way we interact with each other because people are looking at you with a skeptical eye. So when you're trying to share the good news of Christ with them, oftentimes they're looking at you like, hey, you know, what do you want from me? What are you trying to, to take from me? I think beyond that also, that sometimes we become skeptical of everyone else. We become skeptical of what God may be trying to do in our life. That whole uh, new level of skepticism that we have in our culture, as things have changed, that has increased. So then the question is, okay, if I'm now becoming kind of skeptical of others, skeptical of God, how do I, how do I learn to trust God? How do I learn to trust his activity in my life? And, and how do I learn to, uh, to allow him to lead my life even when I don't understand what he might be trying to do? That's what we're gonna look at today. So let's take a second and pray before we get into the scriptures. Let's pray for what Luke 10:2 says, and let's pray for this time. Father, I believe there's a purpose for all of us who are listening in today. And uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would help us to see the mission field the way that you do. Lord, that you would raise up in our hearts a, a passion for uh, the field, that we would help people to come to know you uh, by faith, Lord. And Lord, I pray you would raise up new workers in the kingdom. But God, I pray for this time that you would speak to us. You'd help us to know what it means to, to trust in you deeply. And we ask that in your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter eight. And in Luke eight, I believe there's a story of scripture that are gonna, it's gonna help us understand what it means to trust in the Lord. And the first thing I wanna say is this, is that sometimes you have nowhere else to turn. Sometimes you just have nowhere else to turn. In Luke eight, here's what's happening. Jesus has already become very popular in and around Israel. As he's been traveling and teaching, He's been uh, sharing some truth. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And in chapter eight, we see that he, he literally calms the storm. So his disciples are just in awe of him because he has power over the elements. He goes across the lake and he sees this man who's got demonic activity in his life and he cast out the demons. So Jesus has power over the supernatural. And then this happens next. He gets back across the lake and in verse 40, it says this. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. 
As Jesus went, the people pressed around him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So here's the setting. Jesus again is becoming very popular. He goes across the lake. He heals this man who's uh, been, had demonic activity in his life. He comes back across the lake where everybody's waiting on him. So it's word is getting around that Jesus is gonna be there. And so two people who are literally in a very difficult situation circumstantially, uh, life is on the line for one of them. They find out that Jesus is coming and they're waiting for him to come. So as soon as he gets there, this first guy, Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler. Now a synagogue ruler was someone who's part of the religious elite, most likely a Pharisee or part of the ruling class. And his job would have been to run the synagogue. So not only to take care of uh, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of it, but to make sure that the services go the way they're supposed to. So this is a guy who theologically would partner with the Pharisees and the religious elites, the people who are most likely to be skeptical of Jesus. But he's now, because his daughter is sick to the point of death, his little girl, he is now willing to go as as close to Jesus as he can, he finds, he says, well, you've got to help me. My daughter's dying. She's almost dead. You've got to help. At the same time, we're introduced to this other woman. She's not named, but it says she's been sick for 12 years. I, I like how uh, Luke puts it here. It says, and no one could heal her. This woman had been sick. If you read the account in Mark, it says that this woman suffered much at the hands of many doctors and she continued to get worse and worse. She spent all she had. She's been sick for 12 years with something that has caused her to be a social outcast. So she hears that Jesus is coming and she just wants to go be with him because she believes in her heart that he can heal her. Do you know what these two have in common? As far apart as they would be, one is a religious elite considered you know, the most important in the culture. And the other is a religious outcast because she's considered unclean in the culture. But what they have in common is that they have nowhere to turn. It's their desperation that is driving them towards Jesus. You know, I think none of us want to be labeled desperate. Not in our culture. We want to feel like we have it all together. You know, when a circumstance comes at us, whether it's a work thing, a relationship situation, uh, you know, a marital problem, something with our kids, something with our own health, like we pay people who will help us. Counselors, advisors, doctors, like lawyers. We find people that will make us feel more comfortable, make us feel more in control. Why? Because we don't want to be labeled as desperate. We want to feel like we've got it together. And when we have the information, we don't need anything else because we have what we need. And when the circumstances raise, we've got to find a new person, a new advisor, a new uh, you know, expert who can help us deal with the situation because we don't want to feel like we're out of control. I think in a lot of ways, it can hinder us from actually trusting God because we don't want to have to be out of control. We don't want to be desperate. The reality is though, what God is calling from us is to simply trust him. That's what faith is, that we place our trust completely in God. And he wants us to lean into him like, like a good father that he is. But our tendency is to make sure that we have ourselves under control. Can I tell you, um, as a young guy, I love to play golf. I, I learned to play golf when I was a teenager and uh, I fell in love with the game. In my 20s, I played weekly. Uh, I was not a great golfer. I'm not, certainly not a great golfer now. Um, 
I don't play as often anymore. As soon as I had kids, it turns out now I only play a couple times every summer. Uh, but I really enjoy the game. In, in all the years I've been playing, so close to 30 years I've been playing the game of golf, I've never walked off a course, whether I'm playing nine holes or 18, I've never walked off a course before it was finished out in the round. And that includes bad weather. I mean, I, I just will wait it out. I, I, just, I love to play the game. Except one time in my entire life, I walked off a course. And I know the date. It was September 11th, 2001. My buddy and I were heading to the golf course and on the radio, we heard some, uh, you know, some news about some plane that ran into a building in New York City. And in my mind, I had uh, like some kind of a small prop plane that got caught in the, in the fog and accidentally hit a building. That's what was going on in my mind. Uh, we went and we played the first nine holes. We go to the turn, go into the clubhouse to get some snacks and it's all over the TVs what happened that day. I mean, I was stunned. I was in shock, I think. We went back out onto the 10th hole. We hit our drives. We looked at each other and said, you want to go home? And we said, yeah. You know, that day, for anyone who lived through that day, you know just the complete sense of feeling of out of control. A sense of, I've seen this over there. I've seen it in that country, in this country. There's been terrorism here, here, and here, but it's never hit us like this. Sure, we've seen acts of things here on our own soil that have been bad, but never another group of people attacking us and succeeding. And it changed people. That day changed people. It ushered in a period of time where people were flocking to church. When you would see the things on TV where they were doing, uh, you know, raising money for victims and stuff like that, they were calling on God. They were praying. Celebrities, Hollywood, everyone was praying, God, help us, help our nation. That was the feeling in America. And I know personally, two people that gave their life to Christ during that time, simply because they felt so out of control. And they felt like this was the time in their life where they needed to lean into God and that transformed their life. I've heard of many others that it was during that season of life. And do you know what all of those things have in common? There was nowhere else to turn. It was through that moment that people turned to God for a season until they started to feel comfortable again. That's a reality. Sometimes there's nowhere to turn. And when you have nowhere to turn and you turn towards God, you're in the right spot. The second thing I wanna share is this, is it's difficult to have faith when we don't understand why. Let me read the rest of the story here and just kind of stick with me. There's a lot of verses here, but stick with me as I read. And then we're gonna kind of zoom out and zoom back in. Verse 44, remember this, this guy is, you know, got Jesus and they're, they're heading towards his daughter. And this woman, verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, well, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your, your faith has made you well, go in peace. Now, while he's still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter 
and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I mean, what an incredible story. As we zoom out of the story and look at it from a bigger picture and from people who maybe you've read this before, you've heard us preach this passage before. And if you've been around LifePoint for a long time, then it's probably been several times we've talked about this passage because it's, it's amazing. And it's covered in three different gospels and each one gives different details to the account. But in this particular one, it's pretty amazing. Imagine this woman, she's been sick for 12 years. And if you look theologically, if you go all the way back to Leviticus, you realize that she is a social outcast. She's considered unclean. She can't go worship at the temple. She can't touch people, but 12 years and Jesus heals her. I mean, the, the passage that says she believes that she just touches his garment. That goes all the way back to some, some you know, things and some folklore and some scripture that, that you can be interpreted that, you know, he has healing in his wings and the wings were the same word for tassels on the end of his cloak. And, and she just wants to touch the, the wings, believing if she just touches him, she'll be healed. And she does, she gets healed. And Jesus stops everyone and wants to have this conversation with her. I mean, it's a really beautiful moment. She gets healed. Then you go down and you think, what about Jairus? He's there, he's desperate and, he, and Jesus just stops and he's like, Jesus, we gotta go. And someone comes and says, don't bother him anymore. Don't bother the teacher, your daughter's dead. What a crass thing to say, right? Just terrible. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 let's go. They go in and he heals this little girl. I mean, this story goes from tragic, I mean, nuclear tragic. This guy loses his daughter to incredible elation. She's risen from the grave. I mean, this is unbelievable. From the outside looking in, if you zoom out, you realize it's easy to get used to the fact that Jesus does miracles. But if you were in these stories, this is incredible what he did. But if you zoom in, if you zoom in, here's what you have to look at. This woman was sick for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. Let me tell you what my experience is with people who have long suffering illnesses, people with chronic pain, people who've been debilitated, people who are really not well. Let me tell you something. It's really easy to start asking why. It's easy to ask God, why? Why are you allowing this in my life? For some of those people, they turn towards God and they lean into God. But for a lot of those people, that's where they check out. They stop trusting in God because they don't understand why this is happening. If you look at Jairus, this is a different situation altogether. This is not a long suffering situation. This is a probably an illness that's leading towards death. And he's watching his little daughter lose her life and he's out of his mind. He's full of panic and despair and urgency. And he comes to Jesus and he's begging, please, please, please. This is a 911 call. This is the ambulance drive moment. This is what's happening. But I gotta tell you, I've met many people in that situation where they're asking why. God, how can you let this happen? God, will you please do something? And I've known people who've lost children. And for them, some of them, their faith is higher than it's ever been. They feel like God met them there and they have this incredible faith experience with God that they will say that God met them in the midst of their tragedy. They understand something about the father heart of God. 
losing his own child. They understand something that they couldn't be gained anywhere else. But for a lot of those people, this is where they check out forever. They lose someone they love. They find themselves in tragic situation and they wonder, God, why, why didn't you stop that? You see, it's difficult. It's difficult when you zoom in and you realize, why God? Can I go just a step further? In this situation, do you know this woman is used to being an outcast? And in fact, if you make someone knowingly who's clean, unclean, that's against the law. If you're touching a famous rabbi like Jesus and you make him unclean, that could be punishable uh, to, by death or stone. I mean, this is, this is a ter- just a terrifying situation for this woman. And what does Jesus do? He stops everything. Like they're on their way. They're on the 911 call. He stops everything to say, who touched me? And this woman is like, she's probably just trying to hide. She just wants to get in, get healed and get out. And Jesus stops. It's almost like he wants to bring it to the forefront. The very thing that most terrified her, he wants to bring that to the forefront. And you have to ask yourself, Jesus, why? Why'd you need to do that? And then if you're Jairus, here's what you gotta be thinking. Jesus, why are we stopping? Why, why, why are you trying to find this person in a crowd? Everyone's touching you. Why does that matter right now? My daughter's dying. You see, there are times in our faith where we just don't understand God. We don't understand why sometimes he allows long suffering illnesses in our lives. We don't understand when he brings tragedy or allows tragedy in the world around us. He doesn't stop it. We don't understand when we're praying to him and we don't get an answer right away. We don't understand when we can't see him working around us in the way that we expect. There are times that we ask why, and it's difficult on our faith. Can I just tell you something? It's gonna happen to all of us at some point. Every one of us, there's gonna be a moment where we have a crisis of faith where we don't understand why. All right, so, you know, how do I learn to trust the Lord? If there are moments where I know I have nowhere to turn, but I try to kind of fix my life so that I, I never feel like I'm out of control. And then when I get out of control, I know I have nowhere to turn. And then if there are times when I don't understand God, I don't understand why he does what he does. I don't understand how he's working. I don't understand. How am I supposed to have faith? How am I supposed to trust in the Lord? Here's the thing. And I think we see from the stories that you can trust that he knows what he's doing. You can certainly trust that, that the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. There's a little verse I want to bring to your attention in verse 48. Remember, he calls out to this woman. He's like, I, I wanna know who touched me. The woman comes in and explains everything. Like she just spills it all. And Jesus says in verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Because you know, I've studied scripture for a long time. I don't recall Jesus ever having kids. Uh, it doesn't appear that he was married. doesn't appear he had a family. Uh, he, he didn't have any of that. So why would he use that word daughter? I, I have daughters. I, I know the preciousness of which uh, God has brought these two uh, little girls into my life. The word daughter is a, an intimate term. When, when you look at your little girl and you, you call her by a, a pet name uh, that you've given her, whether it's, you know, sweetheart or, or, you know, or, you know, whatever it is that you say, daughter is a term of endearment. Why would Jesus use this term with her? You see what she wanted 
What she wanted more than anything was just simply to be healed and not to be an outcast anymore. She didn't want to be ostracized. She didn't, you know, but she had faith. Even in the midst of her long suffering, she still knew she wanted God. She knew God was the answer. She just didn't understand how it was all going to work. But you know what she really needed more than healing? She needed to know that she was okay. That she didn't steal a miracle from the King of Kings. She didn't do something wrong. She came to him in faith and he calls her daughter. That's a term of endearment saying, you belong. Your faith, daughter, it was your faith that made you well. Go in peace. You trusted in me. Even though you didn't have the answers, even though you were long suffering, you trusted in me. And let me tell you what I'm doing for you right now. You want to be healed? Yes, I took care of that. No problem. I didn't even know it happened. It just happened, right? But now your faith has made you well go in peace. He's restoring her. That's what she really needed. She needed to be restored to community. Her life needed to be restored. So what happens with Jairus? You know, he's, he's sitting there and Jairus is probably thinking, you know, I was too late. Maybe if we had moved faster, maybe if I got a, could have got him through the crowd faster, maybe if I had come sooner, maybe he's thinking all these things that, and now his hope is lost that his daughter's gone. And Jesus says, don't, you just need to believe. You need to trust. Keep trusting. You came to me for a reason. Keep trusting. They go there. And here's what I find interesting, verse 53. It says, he goes up there and says, don't, don't weep. And all these people are outside and they're weeping and they're upset and they're carrying on. He says, don't weep. She's only asleep. Verse 53, and they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. This isn't a question of whether she's dead. They know she's dead. And the word laugh here isn't like, ha ha, he told a funny joke. It's more like indignation, scorn. Like, who do you think you are, fool? Can you imagine, like, you go to heaven one day and you're talking to people, hey, what's your story? Oh, actually, I was named in the Bible. Like, how were you named in the Bible? Well, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, well, what happened? He goes, well, Jesus forgave me. Just, Jesus forgave me. Well, what happened? He goes, well, you know that part in scripture where it says they laughed at him? That was me. I laughed at him. I mean, can you imagine that? But when you, when you realize for Jairus, what Jairus wanted was that Jesus would heal his daughter. That's what he wanted. He was a religious elite. He was willing to throw away his theology, his, all of his crew of people who told him that Jesus is not to be trusted. He's going to go because he's desperate and he's in a tragic moment and he's going to go towards the Lord. And the Lord says, look, you got to trust me. I know your daughter's dead, but you got to trust me. And he trusts and he's heading there. He wanted his daughter to be healed, but you know what he found out? Jesus has power over death. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is more powerful than sickness. He's more powerful than death itself. And it doesn't look like he worked very hard. This is nothing for him. Like it's as simple as you touched his garment in faith. It's as simple as he said the words, child arise. It wasn't like this was difficult for the Lord. It's, it's interesting when you see the miracles of the Lord. Sometimes, you know, he's trying to get someone who's blind to see again. He puts mud in their eyes and he washes it out. He's like, can you see it now? And other times he just says a word. It doesn't look like it takes him a lot of effort to defeat death at all. Jairus needed to know that this person wasn't just a healer. He had the authority over death itself. You see, I think you and I, in the very same way, we have our skepticism. We wanna trust in God, but there are times when like our life, we just, we wanna control it ourselves. And then we do everything we can to hang on and be tough. And then we fill ourselves with anxiety and worry because we can't control it. And the whole time God is saying, trust me, 
Come to me, who all who are weary and find life burdensome, for I will give you rest for your soul. Come to me. And we struggle. Yes, yes, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you so long as I can handle it myself. And then there are times in life that we get beyond our control and they just get terrifying for us. And for some people, that's what causes our faith to collapse completely. And for some people, they'll never come to God because of this. And yet we see that Jesus had a purpose in all of this. He had a purpose for this woman and for her life. He had a purpose for Jairus. He knows exactly what he's doing. And let me tell you what you and I know about life. And you maybe grew up in a different way. You grew up in a different era. You're from a different you know, season of life. You have different circumstances. Let me tell you what you and I agree on completely. We all agree that people that we trust in are people that we, they know what they're doing and they have our best interests in mind. That's Jesus. He knows exactly what he's doing and he has your best interest in mind. Can I tell you, there's a, a couple in my life that have been in my life from way back. Uh, they were the, actually the first wedding I ever did. And uh, these two young people, they were in college at the time and they gave their life to Christ and, and they got married and uh, they grew up, we became great friends. Uh, our babies were all born at the same time together and uh, uh, they moved down to Cincinnati. His wife um, developed um, a medical condition that the best way I can describe it to you is chronic migraines. Uh, it, it encompassed much more than that. It, it really um, debilitated her body, but she would go weeks on end, not being able to get out of bed. She'd have some good days followed by weeks of bad days to the point where it was impacting her ability to function completely. She became disabled. She couldn't work. She had trouble just being a parent, trouble being a wife. Now the guy, he's excelling at work and he has got a great job and he's, he's able to provide for his family. But when he comes home from work, he's working still, working to help all of the daily functions, almost like a single dad, trying to take care of his wife and take care of his two young boys. And it was a difficult season in his faith. God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? And this is going on, not just for weeks, but months and then years, this is happening with no relief in sight, doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, trying to find the right medication and the right diagnosis, surgeries were following and nothing seems to work. Well, one day he's, he's praying and he feels like God's given him an opportunity to, to move away from Cincinnati to the state of Kansas. He's got a business opportunity there and, and maybe the change will do the family good. Maybe getting out of this environment and, and all these years of struggle and, and changing going to Kansas would, would be good. And, and the owner of this company who recruited him in promised him all these things. They go there, they build a house, they move their kids, get into new school systems, a new place, no family around, all brand new, has to find a new church. Everything is new, new doctors, everything's new. Finds out very quickly that the owner of the company has some integrity issues, like serious integrity issues to the point where it was threatening the company. And my buddy's like, I don't think we can stay here. This is, this is not healthy for our family. He's praying. Start of the pandemic, now what? He has an opportunity to move to South Carolina. He's got family down there. And maybe getting towards family again, being around family would be beneficial to his family. He moves down to South Carolina. He takes a job that is six or seven steps below what he's normally making and uh, his normal position. But he does it because he's just got to take care of his family and provide. He gets down there and finds a church and through a circumstantial relationship 
finds a specialist doctor that specializes in almost exactly this type of situation. His wife gets connected to find the specialist. And in the midst of what seems like a long shot, it starts to work. I was able to go visit them uh, several weeks ago. Got my family and I went down to Charleston and uh, got, you know, wanted to see the ocean and wanted to see our friends and hang out with them. And, and she's like a new person. Healthy, uh, functioning. She has a great job. The kids are doing well. They're all thriving. But I was interested to hear how God worked through all of that. And this is what I think they would say, as best I understand it, is that God had a purpose in all of this. They're closer to God now. They're more, uh, they're more in tune with the heart of God, working through the, the difficulties, learning to trust in him in the midst of the tragic days and months and years and struggles. They would say that their faith is higher now and God has them in an incredible position. He got a better job than he's ever had. His wife has a great job. The kids are thriving. Their faith is growing. But it's, it's a hard in through those long days and months and years. It's hard. But they would say they trust God. The people who I've met in my life who have the most deep faith, the ones who, who spill out faith on other people are those who have been through things that they just don't understand. And they've learned to lean in and trust God even when they don't understand because they know he's good. I'd say wherever you're at today, maybe you're in the middle of it. You know, you're in the middle of the struggle and, and you, you trust God, but you, <laughs> you do it like this. You know, you, you struggle with worry and anxiety and fear and you spend a lot of your life like trying to control it yourself. Maybe it's a chronic pain. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a, a marriage. Maybe it's something between you and your kids or it's a job situation. There are things in life that cause us to question. Maybe you're in the midst of that situation now. I assure you that the Lord knows what he's doing. He will never waste this in your life, but you need to lean into him. Maybe you came in uh, listening to this online service today and you feel like you're far from God. And it's these, it's the skepticism. Like, how do I know I can trust him? Like if God were good, why would he allow hard things to happen? You need to understand that sometimes, sometimes we won't listen unless we're out of control. Sometimes we won't pay attention to God unless we know there's nowhere to turn. We won't humble ourselves sometimes. We need to be humiliated before we'll turn to him. And I, I'll say this, for those who turn to him know that he's good. I repeat what I said earlier from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and find life burdensome. For I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That means following him. He has a path for your life and it's gonna refresh your soul. And I would say to you, you need to put your trust in Jesus. What does he have to do to earn your trust? He sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to show you how much he loves you and he's worthy of your trust. Can I tell you, for some of you though, you listen in week after week after week after week after week and you feel like nothing's happening in your soul. You feel like God's not answering. You, you kind of turn religion into this obligatory thing that you, you do this because, you know, dot, dot, dot. You have a reason, but nothing's happening. Your faith seems to be flickering, if not out. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of all these people in the crowd who are brushing up against Jesus all the time. They just 
They don't believe who he is. They're waiting to see what he's going to do next. Maybe he'll do this or maybe he'll do that. Maybe he'll get my attention with some crazy teaching or some miracle. But there was one person in the crowd that touched his cloak and was healed. And I think that says to you that if you've been around this, this whole time, it's time to turn your heart to the Lord. Wherever you're at, I'm just going to encourage you to pray. I'm going to ask you to take a second, close your eyes and just talk to God, whatever God's put on your heart. Father, I pray for those who can be like me that try to control everything and we stop trusting in you. We stop looking for your activity because we're more interested in finding an expert who can make us feel more comfortable. God, I know you put people in our lives to give us wisdom. I know that there's a purpose in all that, but I also know you're driving us towards faith and trust in you. You want us to see you for who you are, to have our faith grow and our worship grow. God, you want us to be missionaries in the field and, and we can't do that without trust. We can't live out the gospel unless we trust in you and your precious message and your precious son, Jesus. God, teach us to trust in you in the midst of any circumstance. And God, I pray for those who are in the middle of it, in the middle of the hard times, in the middle of the chronic pain and the, the situations that are tragic, I pray you would touch them and that they would sense your healing touch, your grace and your mercy that, that just goes beyond their ability to reason. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to minister to them. And if you're listening and you've never decided to trust in Christ, you know, you've been in the crowd, but you've never run to the Lord. And today you wanna do that. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you come to Jesus. You simply say to the father, father in heaven, I believe in you. I believe in your son. I know that you sent him to die on a cross and I know he rose from the grave. I believe, just tell him that. And then say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling on you now. Will you please forgive me of my sin? Forgive me of my unbelief. Forgive me of my skepticism. Forgive me of being, you know, the person who's just sitting and waiting. I'm not running to you, but today, Jesus, I'm running to you. Will you forgive me of my sin? I wanna follow you, Jesus, help me. Just tell him that. You need to know as you tell him that your faith has made you right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Father, I'm praying for all those people who are, who are right there at that point of decision that you would walk with them across the journey of faith, that they would sense your presence. And for those who are still struggling, Lord, I pray that you would show them that you're worth it, that you know what you're doing and you have their best interests in mind. We ask that in your son's name, amen, amen. Thank you so much for listening online today. I just wanna say that Dean's gonna come in a minute. He's gonna give some, uh, you know, some uh, directions and some announcements. But I just wanna say to you, uh, as we get ready to worship again and, and hear these announcements, I'm praying that God will touch your life this week. Lean into him. Till next time.